This is Audible. Books on Tape presents Rule Number One: The Simple Strategy for Successful Investing in Only Fifteen Minutes a Week by Phil Town, read by Mark Cashman. The difference between my cost, including development cost, and the post-development retail price per acre represented my margin of safety. It translated to an MOS of about twelve thousand dollars per acre. I could drop my lot price in half if I had to, and still come out even. So why don't we do the same thing when we consider buying a business? The real estate entrepreneur who drives into a good neighborhood and spots a run-down home requiring a lot of elbow grease to fix up, but not much real skill or money. We're talking tasks such as roof fixing, fence painting, lawn cutting, and weed pulling. Is creating a wonderful margin of safety with his sweat, because once he's finished, the redone house has a new value, and the difference between the price he paid for the rundown house and the new value is his MOS. If housing starts to go flat in his area, he can lower his price, sell the house, and still make a profit. Those who bought hoping for a bigger fool will be losing their money. Getting out. If we've done our work well, we'll buy a wonderful business at an attractive price. Following our purchase of the business, it usually doesn't take that long for Mr. Market to see his mistake and reprice the business upward toward the sticker price. And as we'll see a bit later on, when it gets to the sticker price. It's a signal to get out, sell the business. Before we get into the details of getting out, though, let's get more into the details of getting in. So far, we have a wonderful business, and we're learning how to know what an attractive price is. Let's do some calculating in the next chapter to determine values, sticker prices, and margin of safety prices. Chapter nine. Calculate the sticker price. In mathematics, you don't understand things; you just get used to them. Johann von Neumann, 1903 to 1957. The sticker price has a lot of other names in the financial community, including intrinsic value, fair value, and simply retail price. The label we give it doesn't matter. Call it whatever you want. I'm calling it the sticker price. Remember what sticker refers to—the price of a business that's fair, that's neither overpriced nor underpriced. It's what the market should be selling it for, but often doesn't. Labels aside, what's most important about the sticker price is that we get it right. The essence of rule number one investing is buying stocks as if they were businesses, and businesses are not pieces of paper. They also aren't like tangible goods. Remember the car example. Businesses have employees, buildings, and machinery that all come together to sell a product and make money. The sticker price of a business is more than the value of its parts. The major part of a business's value is the money it's going to make in the future for its owners. No one knows exactly what that amount will be. Therefore, no one knows exactly what the sticker price should be. However, figuring out the sticker price is something Ben Graham made his specialty. He taught the technique to Warren Buffett, 
who then modified it some and taught it to other investors, either personally or through his letters and speeches. And my teacher, the wolf, taught the process to me. I've modified it a bit to fit today's ordinary individual investor, and now I call it rule number one investing. Note, part of your learning curve in becoming an expert rule number one investor will be becoming proficient at figuring out sticker prices. The math is basic and becomes quite repetitive and automatic once you've done it a few times. Your first encounter with running the numbers may feel a bit overwhelming, but take it slow and steady. Reread sections. Keep in mind that I'm giving you the one, two, threes to arriving at sticker prices without a calculator, just so you'll know what's going on behind the calculators you'll come to use for speed, convenience, and greater accuracy. You'll soon be able to run the numbers on any company, and probably get so used to the routine you'll be able to just glance at a bunch of numbers and immediately know what they mean without having to do any math in your head. The key to the rule number one method of finding the sticker price is, as I said, to buy businesses, not stocks, and build in layers of protection when we buy them. These layers are what we've been learning so far in this book. The first layer is the necessity of understanding what being in this business means well enough so you know it's a durable business. Second, make sure it has a wide moat so you know you can make a reasonable prediction about the future from its past Big Five numbers. Third, make sure you're in love with the manager so you know he or she will act like a long-term owner. And the fourth layer, maybe the most important is to buy with a huge margin of safety so that if anything goes wrong, you won't get burned. These layers are the four M's. We're going to finish the fourth M, margin of safety, or MOS, in this chapter. To do that, we have to calculate the right sticker price. Arriving at the right sticker price entails knowing four numbers, ones that will be used to make a few critical calculations. Let me first map out and explain what numbers I'm talking about. And then I'll teach you how to figure out the sticker price from there. Note, I'm going to take you through the process of arriving at a realistic sticker price without using a calculator. You may prefer to do this without playing with numbers in your head. For those of you who feel that way, and believe me, I understand, I had some friends build rule number one sticker price calculators and put them on my website. If you want, you can go to www.rule1investor.com and use the calculators while you're reading this chapter. After every step in the sticker calculation process here, where you do the calculations on paper or in your head, I list the step-by-step -step process to use with my calculators. And for those of you who prefer to work directly with Excel formulas, those are on my website, too. Finding the Sticker Price To find the sticker price, we need four numbers handy. 1. Current EPS 2. Estimated Future EPS Growth Rate 3. Estimated Future PE 4. Minimum Acceptable Rate of Return from this investment why these numbers? The sticker price is calculated by knowing the amount of money a business is going to make in the future. 
The amount of money a business makes is called earnings, or profits, and the most accurate way earnings are reported to owners is called earnings per share, or EPS. So what we really want to know to get started is what the EPS is going to be in the future. In particular, we want to know what the EPS is going to be in 10 years. And to figure out the future EPS, we need two numbers, the current EPS and the estimated future EPS growth rate. By growing the current EPS at the estimated EPS growth rate for 10 years, we can obtain the future EPS 10 years from now. Once we know the future EPS, we can figure out what its future market price is going to be in 10 years too. That part's easy. Mr. Market prices businesses by some multiple of their EPS. This multiple is called the P.E., Price Earnings Ratio, or just P.E. We find out the best future P.E. to use, which I'll soon teach you how to do, and then multiply that number times the future EPS to arrive at the future market price for the business in 10 years. Reminder. The sticker price of any business is based on its future EPS and future P.E. In other words, if we can figure out what a company's future EPS and P.E. numbers are going to be in, say, 10 years, we can multiply those two numbers together and determine its future price in 10 years and then, from that, work backwards to determine its sticker price today. It's just common sense that if we know what the market price of the business will be in 10 years, if we have a crystal ball and can see what destiny has in store, it's easy to decide what to pay for the business today. All we have to know is what our minimum acceptable rate of return is per year. You should know this already. For rule number one investors, our minimum acceptable rate of return is 15%. With that knowledge and the future market price, we can figure out the all-important sticker price. Note, the sticker price process in a nutshell. 1. Grow the current EPS at the estimated EPS growth rate for 10 years to obtain the future EPS. 2. Multiply the future EPS by the future P.E., the calculation of which I'll describe to obtain the future market price. 3. Shrink the future market price by the minimum acceptable rate of return per year to obtain the sticker price. Rule number one uses 10 years for the future for two simple reasons. One, the 10-10 rule. We never buy a business for 10 minutes if we aren't willing to hold it for 10 years. Two, practicality. 20 years is too far into the future to do any sort of reasonable predictions, and five years is too short for a long-term hold. So 10 works best. One. Current EPS We don't have to do any fancy calculations to get the current EPS, which is reported on most financial websites and easy to obtain. You'll find it's also called the TTM EPS, short for the trailing 12 months EPS. In fact, you'll see TTM a lot on financial sites, referring to data measured during the last four fiscal quarters. 2. Estimated EPS Growth Rate We get the second number, the estimated EPS growth rate, from the work we've already done, 
the big five numbers, the core of Chapter 6. It makes sense that to predict the future EPS growth rate on a business, we have to look at historical growth rates to base our decisions. Now here's the tricky part that won't make sense at first. Of the four growth rate numbers in the big five that tell us the historical growth rate for a business, the one that best points to future EPS growth is actually not the historical EPS growth rate, but rather historical equity growth rate. I know this sounds confusing and counterintuitive, but lock into your brains that the single most important number for choosing a business's estimated future EPS growth rate is its past equity growth rate, and not necessarily its past EPS growth rate. Why? It's because a history of growing equity shows that the business has been able to create more and more surplus cash each year. Such growth of surplus cash is what makes a business valuable to the owner, because the real value of a business is just all the money you can collect from it over the years. Think about it for a second. If the laundromat you just paid $100,000 for doesn't produce surplus cash, what do you get out of owning it besides free starch in your shirts? Nothing. Zero. Because all the earnings per share are getting plowed back into the business to keep the doors open. If that keeps up forever, you're never going to see a dime out of this deal, are you? On the other hand, if this laundromat that you paid $100,000 for produces $20,000 in surplus cash this year, that means the equity grows by that much. The value of the business obviously increases with the increase in the value of the equity. A business that's growing its cash surplus at 20% a year has more cash for the owner each year. That's why Warren Buffett says in his 2004 chairman's letter that the best proxy for the growth of intrinsic value, sticker price, is the growth of equity. Note, I hinted in Chapter 6 that equity growth in a company is what we want to see more than any of the other three growth numbers, EPS, sales, and cash. Why? The growth of the sticker price, the value of a business, most closely follows the growth of equity because a growing equity comes from growing surplus cash. And surplus cash is what makes a business valuable which is why we give a priority to equity growth numbers when we're estimating the future growth rate. While we're going to give a priority to equity, knowing that it's the best indicator of future growth, we still review all our growth rates to find the best number for the estimated EPS growth rate. What we're looking for is consistency and a reasonable growth rate number that the business can sustain. But remember... If the number you decide on isn't fairly obvious, if you feel yourself making a big guess based on a lot of scrambled numbers, then this isn't a business to own. Especially as a beginner, you need to be patient and wait for a really obvious one to come along. Since the estimated growth rate of a business is such an important number, we'd like a second opinion. Wouldn't it be nice to know what the average professional analyst thinks the rate of growth will be? At least every quarter, professional analysts make their best guess on the growth rate of a business for the next five years. This is important information for investors, 
so it's tracked on most financial research websites. Most get this information from one source, Zacks, a service that tallies up the estimates from the pros. You can go to Zacks, www.zacks.com, directly and pay to see the range of estimates on a company. Or you can get the analyst's average, i.e. not an entire range from different analysts' estimates from your favorite research site. MSN Money calls this number, which you'll note is based on earnings rather than equity, our ideal growth indicator, the earnings estimate. Our job is to compare what we've decided is the business's historical growth rate with the professional estimate of future growth. If those two numbers are not similar, say, for example, the analysts project a business to grow much faster in the future than it has in the past, then we need to decide which of the two numbers we trust the most for purposes of calculating the future price of the business. At first, we'll use the lower, more conservative number. So if the historical growth rate is lower than what the analysts are predicting for future growth, we'll go with the historical rate. If the analysts are projecting a slower growth rate than our historical growth rate, we'll use their number. Later, when you have more experience, you can use the higher number if you feel it's justified. Note, some of you might be thinking that the analysts can be way off, or that historical growth might not accurately predict future growth. Right on both counts. In fact, some businesses, especially those that are reasonably new, can have terrible historical growth rates, or barely any at all, and yet the analysts predict wonderful future growth. These businesses automatically get disqualified from rule number one analysis. They can, however, become part of what I call a risky biz portfolio, where you accept more risk because you think these businesses will perform a lot differently than they have in the past. For example, I bought a bunch of Google shares for the risky biz part of my portfolio, a part that I cap off at 10% of my holdings, because its price was incredibly cheap if either the analysts or the historical growth rates were to hold true. But, as you know, there's no way I can predict Google will be in business in 10 or 20 years. Therefore, it's disqualified as a solid rule number one investment. I'll discuss risky biz investments later and give you some rules to live by if you really want to accept the risk. You shouldn't ever allocate more than 10% of your portfolio to risky biz holdings. For now, stick to the rule number one basics and focus only on businesses that qualify as true rule number one companies, ones that have solid and consistent big five numbers. 3. Estimated Future P.E. Once we have the estimated future EPS growth rate, which we'll call the rule number one growth rate, again, based on either historical growth rates or what the analysts predict, the next thing we need to know is what multiple of EPS we should assign a given company 10 years from now to determine its value 10 years from now. We need to provide a multiple called the P.E. or P.E. ratio, to change the earnings per share number into a price per share number. For example, if this business is earning $1 per share 10 years from now, its correct price per share may be anywhere from $5 to 
depending on what future P.E. we multiply the future E.P.S. with. Businesses almost never sell for just one times their current E.P.S., or a P.E. of one. That's way too cheap, because the seller is getting only what he would have gotten in one year anyway. For example, if the current E.P.S. of a business you own is one dollar, would you sell it for one dollar per share? Only if you thought the business was going to go broke almost immediately. Otherwise, you know you're going to get that dollar anyway. You don't need to sell to get the dollar. You might be willing to take five dollars or ten dollars for your one dollar of EPS, but not one dollar. That is, you might sell it for a five PE or a ten PE, but not for a one PE. Mr. Market operates just like that. If Mr. Market thinks a business is going to grow really fast, he gives it a high PE, like fifty. If he thinks it isn't going to grow much, he gives it a really low PE, like five. The PE is all about what Mr. Market thinks about the future. Lots of times, Mr. Market isn't thinking; he's reacting emotionally. When he does that, he can put the PE way too high or way too low. We are, of course, hoping he'll put the PE way too low when we're buying, and then way too high so we can sell for lots more than we expected. But when it comes to deciding what to pay for a business, we're going to use a PE that makes sense—not too high, not too low. Like Goldilocks, we want the PE to be just right. A quick rule of thumb for figuring the PE is to double the rule number one growth rate. Thus, if we think a company is going to grow its earnings at eight percent for the next ten years, then we can expect to see a PE of around sixteen about ten years from now, assuming it will continue that rate of growth. We'll call this the default PE. If we don't have anything else to go on, we'll use the default PE. But of course, we do have something else to go on. We have the historical PE. Every good business has earnings per share, and every good business has a price per share. So every good business has a PE. We can look up the historical PE and see how that compares with the default PE. Note: Ah, the seemingly important PE ratio. You're probably surprised I haven't mentioned PE ratios until now, when so many other financial guys like to spout about them frequently. Before you get all confused about P/E ratios, let's keep it simple. Remember, we're figuring out the price of a given stock ten years from now, so we can work backwards from that number to get our sticker price today. Every stock has a price, right? And every stock we're going to look at has earnings, right? Well, a P/E ratio is just the price divided by the earnings. Here's the formula for those of you who like math. P.E. times E.P.S. equals price, or P.E. equals price divided by E.P.S. For example, assume Starbucks today has a current P.E. of 42 and an E.P.S. of one dollar. What's the price of Starbucks today? 42 times one dollar equals 42 dollars. Correctamundo. The P/E ratio indicates how much we're willing to pay for a dollar's worth of a company's earnings. 
Be careful not to fuss over the P-E ratio too much. We're simply using it as a plug-in tool for figuring the sticker price. Other than that, we don't care what the P-E is. Take a look at this list of rule number one candidate companies and their P.E.s in relation to their estimated EPS growth rates from the analysts in 2005. Starbucks estimated EPS growth rate, 22, current P.E., 42. Apollo Group estimated EPS growth, 24, current P.E., 76. Dell estimated EPS growth, 15, current P.E., 31. Costco estimated EPS growth 12, current P.E. 22. Automated data processing estimated EPS growth 12, current P.E. 26. Paychex estimated EPS growth 16, current P.E. 34. Whole Foods Markets estimated EPS growth 19, current P.E. 44. Chico's estimated EPS growth 24, current P.E. 43. Anheuser-Busch estimated EPS growth 9, current P.E. 17. Microsoft estimated EPS growth 11, current P.E. 25. Merck estimated EPS growth 7, current P.E. 13. Pfizer estimated EPS growth 9, Current P.E. 23. Notice how these companies' P.E.s are roughly twice their estimated EPS growth rate? This is common enough with rule number one businesses that we're going to use it as a rough cut way to approximate a P.E. number we need to determine a sticker price. If the historical and default P.E.s are not the same, we'll use the lower of the two when making calculations. You can find any company's average historical P.E. on any financial website. Example, if our default P.E. is 48 for Garmin, G-R-M-N, because we estimate the future growth at 24% a year and 2 times 24 equals 48, but the company's average historical P.E. is 23, my best guess upon looking at this chart and seeing a high of 35.3 and a low of 12.1, we'd use 23 for the future P.E., not 48. The chart that follows depicts four examples of companies with their historical and projected growth rates and P.E.s. Note that the rule number one growth rates are the lower of either the analyst's projections or the historical rates. The default P.E.s are then determined by simply doubling our rule number one growth rates and we get our rule number one P.E.s by picking the lower of either the historical P.E. or the default P.E. These examples are from the year 2000. Harley-Davidson, HDI, Analyst's Growth Rate, 24%. Historical, Equity, Growth Rate, 24%. Rule number one growth rate, 24%. Default P.E., 24 times 2 equals 48 Historical P.E., 46. Rule number one P.E., 46. General Motors, GM. Analysts' growth rate, 10%. Historical growth, 6%. Rule number one growth rate, 6%. Default P.E., 6 times 2 equals 12. Historical P.E., 15. 
Rule number 1PE, 12. Dell Computers, D-E-L-L. Analysts' growth rate, 20%. Historical growth, 17%. Rule number 1 growth rate, 17%. Default PE, 17 times 2 equals 34. Historical PE, 40. Rule number 1 PE, 34. Apollo Group, APOL. Analysts' growth rate, 20%. Historical growth, 35%. Rule number 1 growth rate, 20%. Default P.E. 20 times 2 equals 40. Historical P.E. 45. Rule number 1 P.E. 40. Again, the rule number 1 growth rate is just the lower of what the analysts think of our estimate based on the historical growth rates. The rule number 1 P.E. is just the lower of the default P.E. or the historical P.E. Once we have our rule number 1 estimated growth rate and P.E., we can proceed. Number four, minimum acceptable rate of return. The rule number one minimum rate of return is 15% per year. The sticker price is the maximum amount we can pay and still get that 15% return on our money over the next 10 years. In other words, the value of the business to us is the price that, if our projections are correct and everything works out perfectly, will give us a compounded 15% annual return for the next 10 years. Of course, things almost never work out perfectly, and we're going to insist on a big margin of safety below sticker price. 15% isn't a number plucked out of the blue. It's a figure that I use as my target rate of return because it's high enough to cover reasonable inflation, taxation on the gain someday when I take the money, and the risk of giving my money to someone else. And it's not so high that I can't find wonderful businesses at prices that'll give me a good return. It's what my teacher, the wolf, taught me, and it's rumored to be the default rate of return Mr. Buffett uses. Put simply, 15% is a pretty good rate of return for what we're doing, and if you get it for lots of years, you're going to get rich for sure. Write that down in your brain. 15% is our minimum acceptable return per year. Anything that looks like it's going to pay us less, we don't buy. Point. The rule number one minimum return is 15% per year. Don't accept anything less. The rule of 72. Now that we know the four numbers, we need to calculate the sticker price. Here's how we do the calculation in our heads. The first thing we need to find out is the EPS 10 years from now. The current EPS and the estimated EPS growth rate are used to calculate the EPS in 10 years. Take your time reading the following so you won't get lost. The EPS growth rate will double the current EPS in some number of years. We need to know how many years it takes to double the current EPS if it grows at the EPS growth rate. The rule of 72 tells us the number of years it's going to take to double the current EPS. We just divide the estimated EPS growth rate into 72, and the number we get is the number of years it takes to double. 
Let's say our current EPS is $1, and we estimate the EPS growth rate to be 24%. The rule of 72 says to divide 72 by 24. Well, 24 goes into 72 three times. So, if it grows at 24% per year, every three years our $1 will double. Note, the exact number of years it takes to double once at 24% growth rate is 3.2, which is to say that the rule of 72 is very accurate around 10%, but gets less accurate the farther from 10% we go. However, for our purposes, the rule of 72 is close enough since we shouldn't be buying anything that's marginal anyway. Since we're trying to find out what the EPS will be in 10 years, how many doubles will we expect to happen? Well, we just figured out by the rule of 72 that the EPS will double once every three years, so in 10 years it will double about three times. I say about because the rule of 72 is an approximation, so we don't have to get all perfect about using it. But it'll work for us just fine, and it has the advantage of letting us do the numbers in our heads. So, we know we can expect three doubles in 10 years at a 24% EPS growth rate. Let's do the math. One dollar doubles to two dollars in the first three years. Two dollars doubles to four dollars in the second set of three years. And four dollars doubles to eight dollars in the third set of three years. Thus, we'd expect the future EPS, in 10 years, to be something like $8 per share. Congratulations! You just did the hardest math you need to do in rule number one investing. Now all you have to do is repeat similar calculations using different numbers. And if you don't want to go through these routines, you can rely on my calculators to do the job for you. From future EPS to future market price. Once we know the EPS in 10 years, we can figure out the price of the business per share in 10 years, the future market price, by using a P.E., a multiple of earnings. Simply multiply the future EPS by the future P.E. Let's say we expect Mr. Market to use a 40 P.E., since the historical P.E. of 40 was lower than the default P.E. of 48, the default P.E. being simply double the rule number one growth rate, or 24% times two. That means the future market price 10 years from now will be about $320, 40 P.E. times $8 EPS. From future market price to sticker price. We can figure out what the business's sticker price is today by utilizing our future market price. Again, we'll use the rule of 72. We know our minimum acceptable rate of return is 15%. By the rule of 72, 15% doubles our money about every five years. 72 divided by 15 is roughly 5. So we can expect, at our minimum acceptable rate of return of 15%, to double our money twice. 10 years divided by 5 equals 2 doubles. That means we get only two doubles from the sticker price to the future market price. If we double $1 to $2 and then double $2 to $4, we have two doubles. You might notice one more pattern. $1 is one-fourth of 
So if we know our future market price, we can just divide by four to get the sticker price. We can do that every time because 15% is always our minimum acceptable rate of return. It's a constant, and one-fourth of the future market price always gives us the correct sticker price if we want a 15% return. Clever. Let's go back to our example. If we expect the business to be fetching $320 per share in 10 years, we can just divide by 4 to get the sticker price. $320 divided by 4 is $80. If I want at least a 15% compounded rate of return for the next 10 years, I need to buy this business for $80 or less per share today. Note, assuming 15% returns, the sticker price today is always going to be about a quarter of the market price 10 years from now. This is because any price growing at 15% a year, doubles according to the rule of 72 approximately every five years, or twice in ten years. Two doublings equal one quadrupling, and to reverse it, just divide that future market price by four. Sticker to MOS Don't forget, we never pay the sticker price. We always want to buy a dollar of value for 50 cents. We always, always, always want a big margin of safety, a big MOS. To get a big MOS, we want to buy this business for 50% off the sticker. We want this thing when it's on sale, big time. In our example, we know the sticker price is $80, and we can easily figure out what half of $80 is. The on-sale price we want to pay for this business, the MOS price, is $40. If we can buy this wonderful business for $40 a share, we have one heck of a nice cushion to make our minimum 15% on a business we expect to sell in 10 years for $320. Let's take a real-world example. Harley's sticker price, MOS price, and ROI. You guys know I love motorcycles in general, and Harley's in particular. I've owned up to 10 Harleys at a time, although I'm down to just one these days. I love cruising across a vast desert with the wind blowing through my thinning hair. Note, I've been to the Sturgis Harley Rally lots of times. Lo and behold, it's in Sturgis, South Dakota. Every year, bands come that were popular in the 70s, and the guys in the band are getting older. Recently, the lead singer for one band, who's getting up there in years, got up on stage in front of 100,000 bikers and said, It's just great to be able to play to you guys because Sturgis is the only place in America where it's cool to be old, fat, and bald. Because of all the years and miles I've put on Harleys, the business has a lot of meaning to me. It has a heck of a brand moat, and its numbers, as we've seen, back it up big time. The biz is still managed by family members and the management treats this business like the American icon it's become, as if they expected to own it for the next 100 years. Those three M's tell me this is a wonderful business for me to own. Remember, just because this might be a wonderful business for me doesn't mean it's a wonderful business for you. Maybe you hate motorcycles and think they should be banned from highways. 
Maybe you haven't a clue as to why Harleys are so popular or what makes a great bike. Don't buy a business just because someone else is buying. Buy businesses that are wonderful to you, okay? Let's travel back to a few years ago and pretend we're in the early part of 2000. The stock market has become irrationally exuberant. Prices are simply off the chart for almost every business I'm interested in, so I'm wondering where I'm going to put my money. I'm going to let you climb into my head at that time early in the year 2000 as I analyzed Harley-Davidson. I need to know what price to pay for Harley at the beginning of 2000 that'll get me my 15% return minimum for the next 10 years. How the heck does a Harley-riding river guide figure that? Ready? Just like baking a cake, we need to get the ingredients all out here on the counter. The ingredients for this cake are not eggs, flour, sugar, and milk. They are, one, the current EPS, two, the future EPS growth rate, three, the future PE, and four, our minimum rate of return. Now let's mix them up to get a decent estimate of the future market price of the stock 10 years from now. With that number, we can find the price we need to pay today to make our 15%, the sticker price. Okay, in early 2000, Harley had a current EPS of 89 cents. Good. First ingredient on the counter, 89 cents for current earnings per share. Next, Figure out the future EPS growth rate. I'm going to get this number from either the historical growth rate or the analyst's projected growth rate, whichever is lower. Of course, at this point in my research, I had already figured out the big five numbers and checked the debt, so all I had to do to get the historical growth rate of the business was to review those numbers. Here are the four growth rates in order of importance. Equity, 24%. EPS, 25%. Sales, 24%. Cash, 35%. You know I'm going to go right to equity, because I want to use that as my indicator for long-term projections of growth. But I want confirmation from EPS and sales, the next most important numbers. In this case, they're aligned closely with the equity growth rate. The cash growth rate, on the other hand, strikes me. 35% per year growth rate for cash is a huge number. It doubles the cash in the business in just a bit over two years. I figure that out quickly by dividing 35 into 72. I doubt even Harley can keep that up for a long time. Too high for the real world. Equity is growing at 24%, which means it's doubling every three years. Can you guess where I got that? Right, rule of 72. I don't know if 24% growth is sustainable for Harley, but it's certainly historically accurate, so I'm going to use it. Thus, my historical growth rate is 24%. Time to check what the experts have to say about it. I look up Harley, ticker symbol HDI, on a financial research site, and discover that the analysts are estimating a 24% growth rate for the next five years. Guess they see the same numbers I do. So not much to decide. 24% it is. You gotta love it when it's that obvious.
Now I can use the rule of 72 to get the number of years it takes to double the EPS once if it grows at 24%. Answer, 3. 72 divided by 24. So every three years, Harley will double its EPS. In 10 years, it'll double a little more than three times, because 3 times 3 equals 9, which is close to 10. Okay. Now I can figure out the EPS in 10 years. I start with the current EPS, 89 cents. Round that to 90 cents because I'm bad at math. 90 doubles once to 180. 180 doubles to 360. 360 doubles to 720. Even I can do that, and it tells me my expected EPS in 10 years is a bit higher than $7.20. I'll use $7.50. And right about here, all my engineer-type students are groaning about being sloppy. So quit groaning and get out your slide rules or calculators or go to www.ruleoneinvestor.com and use mine and figure it exactly and be happy. I can do that too. The exact number for future EPS is $7.65. Back to the inside of my head. I've got $7.50 for the future EPS in 10 years. Now, I need the future P.E. If the default P.E. is simply double the growth rate, the default P.E. is 48. That's way up there. So I'm going to take a look at the historical P.E. I look it up and see it's 46. Way up there, too, but at least it confirms the default. So 46 it is. And that's all I need to figure the price of the business per share 10 years from now. I multiply the future EPS of $7.50 times the future P.E. of 46, 750 times 46, and get... Sheesh! I gotta get out a calculator for that one. Answer, $345. Now I know that $345 is my best guess for what this business will sell for per share 10 years from the year 2000. Time to figure out what to pay for it right now, i.e., the sticker price. Notice I haven't even looked at the actual market price yet because the current market price doesn't matter. I don't care yet what Mr. Market wants for the business any more than I care what some car dealer wants for a new car I'm thinking of buying. First, I want to know what I should pay. That's really easy. Since I'm selling the business in 10 years for $345 a share, I'm going to divide 345 by 4 and get $86. Again, for you engineers who like it perfect, the exact answer is $86.97. So, ha, I was almost perfect in my head. So I figure that in early 2000, Harley's sticker is $86 a share. If I buy it for $86, I'm likely to make 15% a year for the next 10 years. Of course, that assumes everything goes as planned, which is a naive expectation, don't you think? I need a nice big margin of safety. Remember, I want to buy $1 of value for 50 cents. If I've got $86 of value, then I want to buy it for $43. My MOS price, the price I'll pay if I can get it, is $43. Done. Finally, 
it's time to look at the actual market price and see if I'm going to be buying this business right away or not. Note, if doing the math in your head or on paper isn't your cup of tea, you can perform the sticker price and MOS calculations on my website with my sticker and MOS calculator. The computer will do all the figuring for you. All you have to do is plug in the numbers. Here are the steps you take. 1. Click on the sticker and MOS calculator. 2. In the box labeled EPS, input 0.89. 3. In the box labeled Growth Rate, input 24. 4. The box labeled PE has 48 in it. That's higher than Harley's historical PE of 46, so change it to 46. 5. The box labeled ROI has 15%. Leave it. This is our rule number one minimum rate of return. 6. The box labeled Years has 10 in it. Since we're doing a long-term valuation, we'll leave that one at 10. 7. Click Calculate, and it tells us the following. A. The future stock price is $351.86. B. The exact sticker price is $86.97. C. The exact MOS price is $43.49. Riding Harley from 2000 to 2005 Now we look to see what Mr. Market is doing with the price of Harley today. Is he overly excited or is he freaking out? If he's pricing this business well below sticker, he's freaking out. Well, Harley is selling for $29 in the year 2000. Guess he's freaking out, huh? He's got it priced a whole lot below sticker. Heck, he's got it priced well below MOS. That's good for us if we're a Harley buyer. Imagine, if we can make 15% buying it at $86, what can we make if we buy it at $29? That's an exciting question, isn't it? And immediately, I start doing my favorite pie-in-the-sky calculation in my head. What is my rate of return if I buy Harley tomorrow at $29 a share and everything goes according to plan and I sell it in 10 years for $345? I ask myself the question this way. If I buy it for $29 and 10 years later sell it for $345, how many times did my $29 double? Because of my math skills, I round the $29 to $30 and start doubling in my head. 30 to 60, 60 to 120, 120 to 240, 240 to 480. Oops, $480 is too high. And the previous double, $240, is too low. $345 is about in the middle, so I've got roughly 3.5 doubles in 10 years. That's a double every... uh. 10 divided by 3.5 is, uh, a bit less than every three years. I already know by the rule of 72 that doubling every three years is 24% a year. 72 divided by 3 is 24. So a bit less than three years means a bit more than 24%. Maybe 26%? Something like that. See the cheat sheet that follows. Whatever. It's a huge number. My rate of return, instead of 
could be 26%. Sweet! And once again, if this sort of rough work bothers you, just use the calculators and you'll discover that my rough in-my-head calculation was almost on the money. My return on investment ROI would actually be 28%. Crazy fantastic! Cheat Sheet Table for the Rule of 72 Approximate years to double once. Two years, growth rate 36%. Three years, 24%. Four years, 18%. Five years, 15%. Six years, 12%. Seven years, 10%. Eight years, 9%. Nine years, 8%. Ten years, 7%. Buying substantially below a big MOS is a very good thing, because you'll get richer a lot faster by making 28% a year than by making 15% per year. How much faster? If you have $50,000 right now and get 15% on it, you'll be a millionaire in 21 years. Not bad. But if you rake in 28% per year, you'll be a millionaire in 12 years, about half of the time. And you get an extra nine years of living rich. Note, how much can $50,000 in Harley, priced at $29, give us in 10 years? Perform the following step-by-step calculations using my ROI calculator. 1. Open the ROI calculator. 2. In the box labeled Years, input the number of years before you are going to cash out, in this case, 10. 3. In the box labeled Dollars Invested, input $50,000, assuming we're investing $50,000. 4. In the box labeled Buying Price, input $29, which is the stock price of Harley in 2000. 5. In the box labeled Selling Price, input the estimated future stock price from above, in this case $345. 6. Click Calculate. And it tells us the following. A. The percent ROI is 28% compounded for 10 years. B. The dollar ROI is $600,000 in 10 years. C. The time to get to $1 million is 12 years. Harley at $29 in 2000 was a heck of a deal. And that's exactly what we're looking for. A fantastic deal because we have a huge upside with a huge margin of safety in case all doesn't continue to go great. All we have to do is be able to see it when Mr. Market offers it up to us on one of his bad days. So, did Harley do as expected? Not exactly. Harley hit the skids a bit with the 2000 to 2003 recession, then performed even worse in 2005. The stock went up from $29, but peaked at $60, then, at this writing, was $50 per share in June 2005. At this point, assuming we bought and held through all of this stormy weather, a not-so-good idea, as you'll soon see, our rate of return on our investment in Harley would be... Let's go back in my head. How many years since I made the original investment? About five. What was the original money I put in? Let's say $100,000. What was the price I paid? $29. And what did I sell it for? 
let's say $58 for round numbers. And again, buying and holding a business in this market isn't necessary to make a very nice rate of return, so you can suppose correctly that I didn't buy and hold. How many times did $29 double by the time it got to $58? 29 doubled once is 58. One double. And how long to double once? Five years. By the rule of 72, if I double once in five years, I'm making a 15% per year rate of return. But again, for my engineer friends who like it perfect, your calculator will conclude that I actually got a 14.9% per year return. Not the 28% I was hoping for at all. On the other hand, 15% a year right through one of the worst stock market drops in history is pretty decent compared to the average mutual fund losing 50%. The power of a big margin of safety is that you can ride through major changes in a business, economy, and stock market and still not get burned. Note. The power of rule number one for getting rich is illustrated by the following scenario. Let's assume you made a mistake and left your $100,000 with a fund manager five years ago, and now you have $50,000 instead of $200,000. If you started right now making 15% a year, how long before you'd make a million dollars? 21 more years. Losing money just kills your rate of return. One bad five-year stretch, and instead of having a 15% rate of return, you have a 9% return. And instead of retiring with $1 million in 2016, you get to retire, assuming no more mistakes, in 2031. To find out how much return we could get on Harley between 2000 and 2005, 1. Get out the ROI calculator again. 2. In the box labeled Years, plug in the number of years. 5. 3. In the box labeled Dollars Invested, input $100,000, our original investment. 4. In the box labeled Buying Price, input $29, our original purchase price. 5. In the box labeled Selling Price, input the current stock prices, in this case $58. 6. Click Calculate, and it tells us the following. A. The percent ROI is 15% compounded for five years. B. The dollar ROI is $200,000 in five years. C. The time to turn that $100,000 into $1 million at this rate is 16 years. 11 years to go. General Motors Sticker Price MOS price, and ROI. If you performed the same calculations on General Motors, again assuming we're looking to buy it in the year 2000, here's what you'd find. 1999 EPS at $8.53. Estimated EPS growth rate at 6%. I arrived at 6% given the comparison between the historical rates and what the analysts were saying. The four growth rate numbers looked like this, equity at 6%, sales at 0%, EPS at 3%, and cash at 3%. The analysts were hoping for better, so I placed GM at the equity growth rate for the future, 6%. Future PE at 12, 
and minimum acceptable rate of return is our standard 15%. Based on these numbers, we get the following outcomes. A. Future stock price in 2010, $183. B. Sticker price in 2000, $45. C. MOS price, $22. The problem? GM was selling in 2000 for $73 a share, almost double the sticker price. If you pay $200,000 for a $100,000 Maserati, you're not going to make money when you sell that car, no matter how great a car it is. You're going to lose. Same thing here with GM. And if you calculate the return on a $100,000 investment in GM over 10 years, assuming you bought it in 2000 for $73 and sold it in 2010 for $183, you discover the following. A. The percent ROI is 10% compounded for 10 years. B. The dollar ROI is $250,000 in 10 years. C. The time to get to $1 million is 24 years, or twice the 12 years you appeared to need when you were looking at Harley in 2000. And remember, the Harley Grubstake example was only $50,000, not $100,000. See a few pages back. This assumes everything goes as planned. And as you know, just as with Harley, things didn't go as planned for GM. Not by a long shot. If I had violated rule number one and bought GM for $73 a share in early 2000, I would have been in for a rude surprise.